Well, this, this morning uh, we are on the second last of our series on uh, Philippians, uh, dwelling with Philippians. Um, and we are speaking about today focused praise. And, and before I started diving into this passage, this was not how I, I thought about this passage. I, I, think, I think I just thought of it as an admonition to, to keep your mind on good things. And, and just like, that's what, that's what good people do, is they think about good things kind of thing. And I didn't really think about it in terms of praising God. But as I've sort of journeyed through with the, the book Dwelling with Philippians and, and sought through scriptures, uh, it, it really makes a lot of sense that thinking about the praiseworthy things in the world is not, is not just a good, healthy, encouraging, wonderful thing for you to do. It's also in itself an act of praise. And, it, and, and, and as such, it is entirely appropriate and good and called for for us. But before we get too much further, let's, uh, let's look at the Scripture passage. So it's very short this morning, um, and I can see a spelling mistake already. Um, Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. If you wanted to pull out your pew Bibles, you're certainly welcome to. But uh, this is what Paul says to the people of Philippi. He is, he is clearly getting ready to wrap up his letter. And he is giving them some parting admonitions. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... And if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. Amen. Just before we go too much further, let's think about these things, right? Uh, in a sort of meta kind of way. <laughs> We're thinking about the things that are things. Ah, that didn't make much sense. But, we, okay, so we're thinking about not only true things, but about the reality of thinking about true things. Did that make any more sense? Not really. Yeah, okay. All right, so what happens when you think about praiseworthy things. So this is meta, to be fancy, this is metacognition. You're thinking about your thinking, right? So what happens to you when you think about praiseworthy things? Honest question. Yeah, your glass is half full, which is, that's hard for somebody like me. Right? Like, my motto, I was just talking about this with somebody else last night. My motto is keep the expectations low and nobody's disappointed. <laughs> right? Um, but but there's, there's, a, there's a different mindset to thinking about pleasing, praiseworthy things. So, yeah, your glass is half full. What else happens to you? you yeah, there's a happiness there. Right? Like, 
Okay, let's say you're having kind of a junky day, right? Kind of a nasty, yucky day. But for whatever reason, you, you notice, uh, like, let's say it's earlier in the spring and the daffodils are out for the first time and you see them, right? And they catch you, right? It, it's, it's like a little minor miracle. Because if you stop and smell the flowers, right? If you stop and see them, it changes your heart and your mind and your feelings almost immediately on some level, right? What else happens when you think about, you know, commendable, pure, pleasing things? Gratitude, gratefulness, yeah, absolutely, right? It, it's... <laughs> Well, I won't, I won't give you spoilers, but we're going to talk about that a little bit, a little bit later, right? It, it, it sort of pulls us out of ourselves and into a space of gratitude. Yeah, good. Um, anything else? Right, right, absolutely. For some reason. Um, it, it's really hard to dwell on the negative when you're dwelling on the positive, right? Um, n- now, now we, we have to be careful in, in all of this, right? Because Paul is saying to the Philippians, you know, make sure that you, you focus on these things. And, and that's very good. He is saying that in, in a context that's a little bit removed and so it's okay, right? So if I write, you know, my, my friends a letter, let's say, um, I actually wrote a handwritten letter a little while ago and mailed it in the mail. It was weird. Haven't done that for years. Anyways, let's say I wrote them a letter. And, and I, don't, I don't know their circumstances or, or as far as I know, everything's going well in their lives. And, and for some reason, it occurs to me to encourage them to think about the good things and, and to, to, to live that kind of life. Okay, good, awesome, right? But if your friend or your, your brother or your sister is going through a really rough time, and you go alongside them and you say, hey, 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 chin up there, buddy. You just need to think about the good stuff. Right? How are they going to take that? I mean, sometimes for me, I might take that in my heart with a, I want to punch you in the face right now. Right? So you got to be careful with this, right? Hey, there's always a silver lining. Look at the bright side, right? All that kind of stuff, right? Like, okay, we need some empathy. We need to be kind and gentle with one another. That doesn't mean that this isn't true. We just need to be understanding and empathetic about when and where and why and how we say these things. But in the meantime, as we look at this, right, we need to remember as, as, as a, a principle in our lives that, that thinking about the good things, thinking about those, um, those wonderful, commendable, praiseworthy things changes our whole outlook on things. 
Right, we, we heard that a little bit earlier with Paul when he said that, um, that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope, right? He glories in his suffering. Like, that's weird, right? right? Now, of course, you wouldn't come alongside, you know, Paul as he's struggling and say, hey man, glory in your sufferings, dude, right? Now, you could... If you had a sufficiently intimate relationship with him, you could come alongside him and say, Brother, I know you're really struggling. Remember, you said, and I believe it was a a word from God, that we need to glory in our suffering because God is going to use this for good. Right? But you don't just casually sort of slap him on the back with a, Hey-ho, buddy, look up. Right? So, um, we need to remember to think of these things and have them change our way of living. But further, beyond that, it can be, it is a, a living praise, a living life of praise. I, I love, uh, of course, you, you know this, I love the Lord of the Rings. Um, and this is from Dwelling with Philippians, a little passage about Um, something in the Lord of the Rings. For those of you who don't know, uh, the Lord of the Rings, very long book written by uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, This is the final volume, The Return of the King, in which um, Frodo and Sam um, uh, have completed their quest to drop the, the ring of, the evil ring of power into the, into the, the volcano uh, so that it's melted and can never do bad things anymore. And that, that's, really, that's really good. But when they do so, Sam and Frodo uh, basically are at the very end of their lives, really, it seems. That they are, they are just a hair's breadth away from death. And when Sam comes to, well, this is where this picks up. In the final book of The Lord of the Rings, Sam Gamgee wakes up following the climactic battle, thinking everything is lost and discovering that all his friends are around him. He cries out to Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? And and of course, the short answer to that, and and the answer that that Sam sort of receives is that, well, no, not yet. I mean, a lot is going to be made right, but it's not all going to be perfect. And that's true for us too in this life, right? Not everything sad is going to come untrue. But, the book goes on, sooner or later, awakening to the truth of the good news, every Christ follower asks that same profoundly innocent question. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's answer will always be yes. Yes. See, keeping that as one of the good things, one of the praiseworthy things that we keep in our minds helps to change our whole perspective on not just the day-to-day, but everything. Right? That, that what is happening today 
What is happening today to me, to you, to this world is not the end. It is not going to end in a fiery ball of destruction. That's not the end. The end is everything made right. Everything made right. And if we can hold on to that, then we are not only encouraging ourselves, we are praising God in our every day. This, um, oh, I forgot to write down the artist for this one. But I, I like what he does. He, he does like calligraphy and um, puts Bible verses in um, a calligraphic form. Um, so fix on your mind on what is true, um, honorable. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise. Making a, a thing of beauty out of a Bible verse, but really, if you think about it, just drawing out the beauty that is in the Scriptures. Beauty is a really interesting thing. Things of beauty, Nathan D. Mitchell says in, in this essay, Being Beautiful, Being Just, says things of beauty as an antidote are an antidote against self-absorption, self-centeredness, right? This is, this is what we were talking about for, for a few moments earlier, right? It takes us out of ourselves, takes the center out of self and places it elsewhere by demanding we reckon with it, come to terms with it. That, it, that is art's saving grace. And, and I think in some ways that is nature's saving grace. That is other people's saving grace. That is, if you've got the right perspective, that is like everything's saving grace in some way is that if we pay attention right, it draws us out of ourself into the beauty that is created by God and really into beauty itself, which is God. Standing on beauty's threshold, however, we recognize that beauty is calling the shots, that it has summoned us, not vice versa. Right? We, don't, we don't really ultimately create beauty. God does and draws it out of us and out of the things of this world. I think the closer we get to God, the closer we, we learn to live in, in, in His ways and, and with as much as we can His mindset, the more we see the beauty in everything. The more we see the beauty in everyone. Right? Someone who is foreign to me, someone whose cultural background I don't know or understand, someone who's older than me, younger than me, whatever, somebody who's just different from me, it is no longer someone scary, but someone profoundly beautiful. And at the same time, the people who are familiar with familiar to me, the people who are around me all the time, they they, they don't get taken for granted because they also are works of beauty. All. And that is true of, you know, nature. It is true of words. It is true of so 
many things. Psalm 119, of course, draws this out and, and, and shows us how this is true not only of nature, not only of people, not only of art, but also of the words of God, the Scriptures themselves. With my mouth, says the psalmist, I declare all the ordinance of your mouth. I delight in the way of your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant so that I may live and observe your word. Open my eyes so that I may behold wondrous things out of your mouth. How often do we do that? Do we look at the scriptures as a work of art from our Creator? Uh, and, and a work of art is not something that's super simple necessarily. It's not like you can look at a work of art and just go, oh yeah, I got it, five seconds later. No, 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 you've got to dive into it. And you have to meditate upon it and, and understand it as much as you can. And you're always finding new depths to it. Recently, and th- this is beautiful, this is really beautiful. Recently, I went to uh, the Kuiper Conference at Redeemer University being, being held there, and, uh, and it was great. Their keynote speaker was um, a fellow named, uh, named uh, Makaro Fujimura. Did I mention this to you already? No? Okay, good, because I'm going to tell you. <laughs> right? Um, he, uh, he's, he, he's a painter, um, he's a painter and artist, and he, always, he also does uh, something called Kintsugi. Right, um, and and kintsugi is this art form where um, where traditionally Japanese masters will take broken pottery, uh, often from ceremonial tea sets, because those are such a central part of of social and uh, community building and so on. Uh, broken pottery, and, and they will fix it. But they don't fix it like, like we often do with some like crazy glue and trying to match it up and do the best you can, right? No, no, no. They make it an art form. They make it an art form. They, 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 they sit there and they meditate on the broken pieces trying to understand what they are. And, and that may sound weird to you. But, but then they, as they meditate upon them and they think about them, they eventually... They, they put them together carefully and they do so with precious metals as, as, as the glue. Precious metals and lacquer. And by the end of it, you have this pot, this broken pot that is, that is laced with gold. And that the whole thing, you, you can see its wounds, but it is more beautiful and stronger and more precious than it ever was before. It is gorgeous. And it is the story of the gospel. Because what are we but broken pots? Even, even Jesus, when he rose again from the dead, right? When he, when, he comes into, when he comes into the house where the disciples are staying, right? He says, he says to them, see my hands. He's got the scars. 
He's got the scars on his side. He's there. He, he has his glorified body. He, he's been kintsugi, as it were. Right? He is better than he was before physically. He's got his glorified body. No longer this broken down, sin-infused husk that we have. He's got his glorified body, imperishable, but it still has the scars. Because the scars are no longer terrible, horrible, bad things. The scars are beautiful. They are Kintsugi. If, If we can look at this world, at God's Word, at all the depth of that Word, the stories in there of people broken and healed, people journeying, people stalled, people suffering, people lying and stealing and cheating and killing and doing terrible things. And if we can put it together with the healing work of Jesus Christ, we can see the beauty of the Word of God as the psalmist declares it here. Psalm 92, verse 12 to 15. And this is, this is, I think, part of the consequence of focusing our minds on these good and praiseworthy things. Is fruitfulness. The righteous, the psalmist says, flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. In old age, they still produce fruit. They are always green and full of sap, showing that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. This painting is by a fellow named Cornelis Montma, and it's called Fruitful based on Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. I, I love it. Like, you can, you can almost see, like, a chef, right, preparing some delicious, like, fruit salad or something like that and, and chopping things up all nicely. And these are piles of, of delicious, fresh fruit ready to go into some refreshing dish that is going to enliven the souls of the people on the hot, sticky day in June or July, right? When we focus on these good things, these commendable, praiseworthy things, we become fruitful. We praise God with every breath we take, every moment we live, every word we say, every thought we have. Brothers and sisters, let's let's live our lives more and more with focused praise. Because properly understood, properly seen, with the right perspective, ultimately there is nothing in this world that will in the end not be praised. Not because in itself it's good. It wasn't good that people shouted crucify Him for our Lord and Savior. But because God transforms all of it 
so that the sad and the ugly becomes untrue. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, help us. Help us to keep our minds on all of those admirable things. On that which is pure, that which is righteous, that which is praiseworthy, that which is glorifying to You, O God. Lord, may we focus on You in such a way that all that we see in this world ends up seeming beautiful to us and is praiseworthy for You. Lord, may it help us to change our attitudes, to change our outlooks, to give us grace for other people and for this world. Lord, we pray this, knowing that You are the Father of all that is good and that You are also the Omega who will, in the end, make all things right. We honor You and praise You, O God. In Jesus' name, Amen.